0: Pastor Xavier Reese, and the woman who served the Lord by serving as mother. Ladies, you never know what God has in mind for your children.
1: You are being used by God to mold, shape, and prepare them for the will and purposes of God. Hannah was a mother who turned out a prophet and reaped the fruit from her obedience to God in the years to come, serving the Lord. Ladies, your children are your greatest investment in
0: life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There may not be a greater heartache than for a woman to have the heart of a mother, the desire to nurture and love a young life, but not have a child. It grips your heart to see the tears of a woman who wants to be a mother so badly, yet this was the circumstance for Hannah, who eventually would become the mother of the prophet Samuel. Pastor Xavier opens to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, where we discover a mother who finds an even greater joy in the will and purposes of the Lord. Let's listen.
1: 1 Samuel chapter 1, the message is entitled Hannah, wife and mother. Hannah was um, married to a man named Alkanah. Hannah was one of two wives in verse 2, the name of the one Panina, which means coral. The woman, Hannah, was the other wife. Her name means grace, gracious gift, and she had no children. Barrenness, as you know, was a mark of shame and a sign of being in disfavor with God in the Old Testament and biblical times. There was a tragedy for all women to be barren because it was the hope of every woman that she might bear the Messiah in the future because she would be born. The Messiah would be born through a Jewish woman. Now, notice in verse 3 through 5, the condition of Hannah would not go away by the favoritism that her husband was giving her. Elkanah went up yearly to Shiloh to worship, to sacrifice. Elkanah would always give to Peninnah and her children a portion of the sacrifice, verse 4 tells us. And in verse 5, Hannah's portion was always double than Peninnah's. So, Elkanah demonstrated his favorite position of her as well as his greater love. She couldn't substitute the double portion for being a mother. Penina went out of her way to um, provoke Hannah severely in order to make her miserable, indicating anger and indignation, causing her to rage. Penina's motive was malicious because the Lord had closed up her womb, being unsympathetic and uncompassionate, knowing she would only humiliate and shame her even more in verse six. Hannah's afflictions caused her much suffering. Notice secondly comes Hannah's petition in verse eight. The petition of Hannah was in view of her husband being insensitive. Am I not better to you than 10 sons? I am sure she said under her breath, no, stupid. How can you compare them? a love for your children to a love to your husband? Two different loves. They're not in competition. They're just two different loves. Look at verse nine. She arose after worship and sacrificed as Eli sat on the seat by the doorposts of the tabernacle. So here's Eli in the back on the tabernacle's put up. There he is. And in verse ten. She was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. The priest is there. He's necessary, but she's not worshiping the priest. She's not putting her trust in the priest. She understands what his function is. Her bitterness of soul affecting her emotions caused her feelings to cloud her ability to fix on the Lord. But now being open to the Lord and his will entered into a meaningful interaction with the Lord. Her prayer was accompanied with a vow to the Lord of hosts. Her prayer was very specific. Notice that God would give her a man child in verse 11. Her promise was that she would give him back all the days of his life and no razor would come upon him. Verse 11 at the end there. That means there was a Nazarite vow for life, even the Samson and John the Baptist. You find that Nazareth vow in the book of Numbers chapter 6. Now notice in verse 12 through 18, the petition of Hannah was misunderstood by Eli the priest. And he thought she was drummed because her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out of them because she was speaking in her heart. Hannah told Eli not to think of her as a woman of Belial, Satan, the devil, <laughs> but a woman who out of the abundance of her complaint and grief had spoken to God. You see, she received Eli's blessing after he was corrected. Eli proclaimed God's peace over her, notice in verse 17, and that her petition might be granted. It was not a promise that it would come to pass, but just a blessing that it might be granted. God is sovereign. Hannah left with her face no longer sad. Look at 18. This is truly the work of God by his spirit, For her circumstances had not changed at all. What had changed? Listen carefully. Her heart. All that had changed was her heart. The conditions had not changed at this point. See, Hannah's afflictions drove her to a position that aligned her with the will and the purposes of God. Third comes the um, acquisition of Hannah. Look at verse 19 through 28. Hannah experienced conception now. She and her husband arose and um, worshiped early in the morning and returned home. Verse 19 tells us of chapter 1. She was known by her husband sexually and the Lord uh, remembered Hannah. She conceived. She named him Samuel due to the fact that she had asked him of the Lord. His name means heard of the Lord. Samuel It's a great name. Samuel would know all his life that he was a direct answer to prayer and that the glory belonged to God alone and perhaps would have never been if it wasn't for that intercession for that drawing to God under the very difficult circumstances. Samuel understood his position, faithful to God. Notice verse 21 through 23, she did not go up to Shiloh again with her husband until the weaning of Samuel now. Elkanah in verse 21 and his entire house went up to offer Shiloh yearly. But Hannah ministered to the child in verse 22 about three years before taking him to Shiloh. Hannah knew that um, he would appear before the Lord forever. That was her vow. Weaning was at the end of 22 to 24 months, we're told by some. Others say it's three years which very probably was the case here. Now, look at 23. Hannah's husband says something to her. Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord, Yahweh, establish his word. In other words, she understands her vow commitment to the Lord. Elkanah, as the head of the home, is conceding to this Again, being aware that everything is to be done according to the Lord. So God is directing all this. This went beyond, I think, normal spiritual care that's called in Deuteronomy to to be prepared by the hand of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, the duties of parents to train their children in the Lord. I think it went beyond this. For he was uh, not only to be the last judge of Israel, but the first prophet of the many to counsel and aid kings. 24 through 28, as she kept her vow to the Lord. Hannah went up to Shiloh in 24 with Samuel after she weaned him and presented him to the Lord in sacrifice. It's a joyous time. Hannah then presented Samuel to Eli after the sacrifice in verse 25. You see, Hannah reminded Eli of that day when she came to him, verse 26, down to 28. Notice, she reminds Eli of her prayer and her vow that she would lend Samuel to the Lord as long as he lived. Hannah and Eli worship the Lord, it tells us, together. Verse 28. Now we see that the purposes of God were accomplished He needed a man to judge over his people during this critical period of transition between anarchy and monarchy. And his eyes were looking to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. And he used a woman to get a man. God's on the throne, right? (laughs) Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them, that love God and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't happen automatically. There's our obedience, our drawn eye to God. When you come to chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, now Hannah expressed adoration. In verse 1, her joy was centered on the Lord, not her situation any longer. Take note of that. She had come to this place even before she was granted her petition back in verse 18 of chapter 1. Her heart had changed. Her awareness to God's uniqueness is marked in verse 2 in this adoration of praise, kind of like uh, the magnificate of Mary when she worships the Lord and acknowledges her sinfulness and her need of a Savior. <laughs> verse 2, her awareness of God's uniqueness is holy. None besides him or like him was acknowledged. In verse 3, her exaltation of God's knowledge of man's inner thoughts and actions reproved the proud in heart. 4 and 5, her recognition of God's ability to destroy the mighty and strengthen the weak and to cause the barren to bear children is stated. Verse 6 through 10, her proclamation of God's sovereignty. His ability to put down the proud, exalt the humble, strengthen the king was declared. In verse 11, her commitment was fulfilled as the child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest, and they went home. Wow. Hannah's acquisition from God was abundant, absolutely abundant. Let me leave you with some lessons. From Hannah here. First Hannah read to what she has sown by being in a multiple marriage. Lessons for us. We find this in chapter one, verse two and six. If Panina was Alkana's first wife, she probably thought it wouldn't be that bad, and that she'd be able to handle it. So is the case with some Christians who get involved in certain relationships. Neatly processed in their mind. But once they're in it, it's a whole different matter. Now it's blood and guts. We live in a day that's far different from past generations, ladies and gentlemen. We shouldn't ignore it. And we should call attention to those who are young and who are going to be married. There are more blended families than natural families, perhaps, today. I'm not sure, but the way I've seen it transcend through the years... And what that means—the stepchildren—they're your children if you marry that woman or that man. You cannot say your children, my children, our children. God forbid that you should be unequally yoke. Now you really have jumped into the fire, and it happens all the time with Christians. Evelkana married Panina after Hannah. Even with her consent, let's say, due to not being able to have children, then he is at fault for her injury. But she reads Sarah and Hagar thinking she could handle it. Whatever we can neatly packaged is different from crossing that line. Let me give you an example. Someone comes to you and they give you a set scenario, and they're asking you to counsel them. And you know the word of God, boom, 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 the word says this, this, boom, 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 boom. Doesn't affect you emotionally, doesn't make your gut turn, doesn't make your heart skip a beat. But then you find yourself in the same circumstance, and they give you the same counsel. Now it's a whole different thing, because now you've crossed that line. You're in reality now. Again, God is able, if we are willing. So the failure is not in God. The impossibility or inability is not in God, but in man. It's always on us. Secondly, Hannah finally went to the creator notice with her problem, with the right attitude, and for God's purposes. So she entered into a fellowship that changed her heart, which ultimately affected her countenance. In chapter 1, verse 18, when you have Panina. In your life, you can go to everyone or you can go to God. Shortcuts to God. Adversaries are people who um, provoke you and you can do one of two things. They will cause you to sin or they will cause you to run to God, the strong tower and fortress. One of the two. Thirdly, Hannah's experience, she experienced reality based on God's word, not her emotions. It continued from day to day. We find this in verse 18 of chapter 1. The countenance of her face was no longer sad. In 19, as we follow through, we'll see the changes also. And the idea of worship is to give the proper adoration to the superior before you by prostrating oneself to do reverence, being aware of one's unworthiness and inferiority before God, the privilege we have to go before Him, knowing that He is able to exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. The vow was fulfilled, accomplishing God's will regarding the need of a man. Verse 28 tells us, chapter 1. God was needing a man to take the place of these corrupt priests and prophets. Look at the fourth thing we learn from her in chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah learned to rejoice in the Lord, not in her situation or circumstance. Her joy was in the Lord. Her strength was from the Lord. Her sacrifice was of love, able to give up even the dearest thing to her, knowing it was the purpose of God. She counted the cost of staying home, chapter 1, verse 22. There's always a price we pay, ladies and gentlemen. When we obey God, there's a cost. When we disobey God, it's a greater cost. Always greater on the bad side. Fifthly, Hannah was a mother who turned out a prophet and reaped the fruit from her obedience to God in the years to come. You find this in chapter two, though we didn't cover them. It's from verse 18 to 21. In 18, she saw her son serving the Lord as priest and prophet. Ladies, you never know what God has in mind for your children. You are being used by God to mold, shape, and prepare them for the will and purposes of God. Somebody gave birth to King David. Somebody gave birth to Jesus Christ. Somebody gave birth to Finney, to Wheatfield, to Wesley, to Billy Graham. Mothers, molding, shaping, praying, day in, day out. Washing clothes, making beds, feeding them, cleaning them, driving them, supervising them. Verse 19 of chapter 2, she continued to visit yearly by providing a new robe and instruct her child. In verse 20, she was acknowledged by Eli as a godly mother and received blessings for the of Samuel. In 21 of chapter 2, she was blessed with more children. She had three sons and two daughters. I don't know if you've ever heard of Susanna Wesley, the wife of of a pastor and mother of 19 children. In spite of poverty, sickness, disappointment, she managed her home well. She early drew up for herself some rules and observed them. Now, before I even give them out to you, you're going to say, oh, it's not today. Listen to me. Don't say that. I'm not telling you to be just like her. I'm telling you, that the generation, the circumstance doesn't matter. And she's been a godly woman. Listen to Susanna. No child was to be given anything because he cried for it. If a child wanted to cry, cry softly, she said. In her house was rarely heard loud cries by children. How many kids did you say they had? 19? Two, no eating and drinking between meals except when sick. Third, sleeping was also regulated. When very small, a child was given three hours in the morning, three in the afternoon. This was shortened until there was no sleep allowed during the daytime. Four, punctually, the little ones were laid in the cradle and rocked to sleep. At 7 p.m., each child was put to bed. At 8 p.m., she left the room. She never allowed herself to sit by the bed until the child fell asleep. Fifth, the little ones had their own table near the main table. When they could handle forks and knives, they were promoted to the family table. Six, each child must eat and drink everything before him. Children must address each other as sister, whatever it was, and brother, whatever it was. Respect. Eighth, she never allowed herself to show through her ill temper or be scolding. She would always explain and explain and explain. Then when John Wesley was in college, besides this, he wrote asking his mother, what books he should read, literally. Her recommendation and recommendation influenced his life. John Wesley, through the methodical study and practice of the scriptures, as you know, was used of God to teach and reach multitudes in the Methodist church, was born. They call them Methodists because they gathered together to study God's word, to pray, to confess their sins and to visit the sick and the orphan in the prisons. That's why they're called Methodists. Very methodical. These are um, simple but important lessons from studying Hannah. And they will pay a great dividends. But it's beyond feelings or emotions. It has to do everything with obedience and trusting God. So the story of Hannah that unfolded for us in these three movements is certainly great in giving us lessons of God's sovereignty, his wisdom and faithfulness on one side, but equally on the other side, lessons on the obedience and commitment of each of us to the purpose and the will of God. Hannah's affliction caused her much suffering. There's no getting around it. Hannah's afflictions drove her to a petition that aligned her with the will and purposes of God. And Hannah's acquisition from God was abundant. Give him Samuel and other children. All this is no accident. All of this is recorded for your learning and mine, that our eyes would be upon the Lord and we will walk with him. And so, ladies, I commend you for being godly mothers and wives. Your children are your greatest investment in life. They are the highest dividends paid. Not the stock market, not your home, not the car you drive, not the clothes you wear, not the jewelry you have, but your children.
0: Simple. God is so good to us. Pastor Xavier Reese closing today with some thoughts on motherhood for this Mother's Day drawing some encouragement from the simple truths unfolded in 1st Samuel. Now the title of today's message is Hannah, a wife and mother and is available on CD for just $4. And by the way, everything we shared the last time we were together will be included as well. So it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and then pass on to someone else you know. The title to ask for once more is Hannah, a wife and mother. Or just mention today's date when you get in touch. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese.